morning is why we shouldn't forget about God. Why we shouldn't forget about God. Let me begin by saying this. I firmly believe that many of our troubles can be traced to our inability or refusal to remember who God is and what he has done. Church, this is an elementary principle of our faith. We must never, ever forget who God is or what he has done. Our growth and maturity, our faith, even our future are not only determined by who we believe God is and what he has done, but it's also determined by how regularly we consider those truths to be true. A Christian Say amen if you're listening. A Christian must have an excellent memory. In his excellent treatise on logic, Isaac Watts says this, The mind is ready to allow many things to slip unless some pains and labor be taken to fix them upon the memory. Lord, if ever anything were true, that is true. We must take pains, serious steps of conviction to solidify in our memory those things which would so quickly slip but are so important. In that sense, many of our convictions are closely connected to our memories. What we remember or choose to remember informs our convictions and presses us in one direction or the other. And this is also true of our Christian faith. We are called and commanded to remember, or sometimes negatively, we are called and commanded not to forget. So without any further ado, let me share with you this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 8 why we shouldn't forget about God. First, we shouldn't forget about God because he delivers. Say amen. Amen. We shouldn't forget about God because he delivers. This is found in Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 4. Very quickly, look at the text if you would. The whole commandment that I commanded you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers, and you shall remember. You shall what? Remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you, know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. The central and most important act of redemption in the entire Old Testament is the Exodus. It is the pivotal redemptive moment in the Old Testament. It is so profound It is so magnanimous that throughout the Bible, we are completely referred back to that event. To be reminded. To be what? Reminded of that amazing moment when God delivered his people from slavery, out of the house of bondage, from the land of Egypt, to fulfill his covenant to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to give his people a blessing a place to worship him, and a place to live, might I say, without apology, richly, a place to live richly. 
Well, don't take it from me alone. Let me give to you a handful of references that will give to you a predicate for this idea. In Deuteronomy alone, chapter 5, verse 15, we see this scripture. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8, similarly, it says, The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. But these aren't the only references that take place in way of reminder. We have other reminders later in the Old Testament, years after Deuteronomy was written, and yet in the same trajectory or history of Israel. For example, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, God says through the prophet Hosea, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And yet, in some way, God wants to remind his people that his salvation and deliverance aren't only relegated to the past. Let me say that again. God wants to remind his people, as often as he emphasizes what he has done in the past, that his redemptive power is not only relegated to the past. Let me share with you Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. There God says to his people, remember not the former things. <laughs> oh, we have all of these, these commands to remember and not to forget, and yet we come to this place in Isaiah chapter 43, which says, don't remember, but remember not. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, God says, I'm doing a what? A new thing. I'm going to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Can you perceive it? I will make in the wilderness a way in rivers in the desert. Interestingly enough, two things that seem to contradict each other can be simultaneously true. God can tell us to remember and not to forget historical events of redemption because they inform our convictions and inform our faith. But simultaneously, church, we can't be so reliant upon the historical acts of God that we ignore and neglect the potential acts of God in the present. On the one hand, we must remember and meditate on what God has done for us, but we can't get stuck there. On the other hand, how can we have an expectation of God doing something in the present or in the future if we're ignorant of what he's done in the past miraculously? I wonder, I, I'm going I'm to say something to you, and I want you to receive this. I wonder how many of you are living life with awareness minus expectation. I wonder how many of you are living your life with awareness minus expectation. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I know what God has done, and I believe what God has done. I just don't think God works like that anymore. Or maybe you believe that God might work like that, but he doesn't work like that anymore for you. Here's your formula, church. Awareness of what has gone, what God has done, excuse me, 
plus expectation of what God can do equals our reality. Awareness of what God has done, that's your memory, do not forget. Plus an expectation of what God can do, that's your current faith in regard to what God has done equals your reality. Where in this formula do you find yourself? Are you one of these people who has an awareness of what God has done, who maybe believes in what God has done, but lacks current faith? Well, that's going to be a detriment to your reality. Or are you one of these people who is expecting God to do something, but you don't know what because you're completely ignorant of what he has done in the past? Ignorant is not stupid, by the way. Stupid is something different. Ignorant means you just don't know. And as sometimes the saying goes, what you don't know can't hurt you, this is completely false. This is completely untrue. What you don't know about God can be extremely detrimental to your faith. We cannot have great expectations of a God whose works we do not know. But if you know my God, this God, If you know the magnificent and miraculous works that he's done for his people in the past, when your marriage comes up against the wall, when your health is in a dire state, when your finances are a mess, when you feel like you have performed sins that can never be forgiven, it's your knowledge of that God who gives you an expectation that leads to your reality. There isn't anything that you have ever faced There isn't any trial that you have come against that isn't common to every other man, woman, or child. And with every temptation, Paul says, God will provide a way of escape because the same God who saved the people of Israel is the same God you worship today. But how can you have faith and expectations in his deliverance if you are not well informed that our God is a God who delivers? Let me ask you this, has God delivered you? And if God has delivered you, from what or from whom? Let me tell you, church, don't ask for God's deliverance when you are resolutely determined not to leave that unhealthy relationship. When you are determined not to leave that unhealthy place of employment. When you are determined not to start worshiping on a regular basis, reading your word on a regular basis, remember, our God is a God who speaks, and when he speaks, we must listen. If he is a God who delivers, then we cannot say to him, deliver here, but not there. He is either a God who delivers or he is not. He answers to no one. First of all, We shouldn't forget about God because our God is a God who delivers. But secondly, we shouldn't forget about God because our God is a God who disciplines. This point is demonstrated to us in two ways in Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to share those points with you. First of all, it's demonstrated in God's parental care of his people. It's demonstrated in God's parental care of his people. Let's read these beautiful verses together. 
It starts with, know then in your heart. Know then in your heart. This is verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into the good land, a land of brooks of water, fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread, love the carbs, without scarcity, lots of bread. Who doesn't like bread? In which you will lack what? Nothing. You will lack nothing. Not only will you not lack nothing, but he says, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you will dig copper, you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. In this text, Deuteronomy 8, 5 through 10, we see that God is likened unto a father. This shouldn't be too wild of a surprise for us because even those of us who became Christians with no familiarity at all of the Old Testament come very quickly to an important teaching within Christendom. And it's found in Matthew chapter 6. Our Lord Jesus says, when you pray, pray something like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We learn very quickly in the infancy of our Christianity that God is not only holy and righteous and apart from all things, but that he's also intimately aware and acquainted with us. He's our father. God help us to keep that balance of holy father. He should never be so holy that he isn't approachable, and he should never be so father that he's chummy, and we forget how holy he is. May God help us to remember that he is not only the Holy Father, but that he's the Holy Father. We learn the parental side of God's character and attributes lead to discipline, not punishment. We say this again. You say it with me. Not punishment, but discipline. Those two things are not synonyms. Those are not synonymous ideas. Punishment is, I'm going to get back at you and you're going to pay. Discipline says, I'm going to correct you so that you understand the difference between right and wrong. Those two things are very different, church. Not punishment, but discipline. And God was testing his people, helping them understand the importance of these things. And I want you to understand this. He was helping them understand this on their way to blessings and righteousness. I want to share a handful of verses with you. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, it says, My son or my daughter, either one. This is a man writing to a young man, so that's why it's written in the masculine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves. Just like a father, the son in whom he delights. Psalm 94, verse 12 
Psalm 94, verse 12 says, blessed is the man. What is this man? Blessed. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble. This principle is even echoed in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. The author of Hebrews writes this, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you like sons. What son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which we all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. One of the greatest problems that we have in our church, capital C Church, one of the greatest problems that we have in our church is Christian people who love Jesus and assume that somehow the discipline and instruction of the Lord is just going to rub off on them and to their kids to such such an extent that their children grow up in the church and go to college And five minutes after they're in college, they have forsaken the faith. They have not been raised in the faith. They've been raised in proximity to the faith. Those are not the same thing. Being raised in the proximity of the faith and being raised in the faith are not the same thing. And let me tell you why. When we go through the Bible, there are expectations of God on his people. And as parents, parents say amen. God is placing upon you the responsibility to take expectations and place them on your children. If you don't take expectations from God and place them on your children, then your children will have no appreciation for boundaries in their life, and they will make everyone around them sorry to be in a relationship with them. A boundaryless person is a dangerous person. A person who does not understand the difference between wrong and right is a dangerous person, an unsafe person. A person who cannot appreciate that is yours and this is mine is a dangerous person. A person like that says things like this, why do they have that and I don't, God? A person like that does wrong and doesn't want correction or or any sort of consequence. But when they see someone else do wrong, they want to give them twice the amount of consequence that they should endure. Someone without boundaries is a person with whom you should have no relationship at all whatsoever. But the church is responsible for creating some of these people. The church is responsible for creating some of these people because they have been taught somehow, some way, whether by podcast or YouTube or radio or some church in their past, that discipline is hurtful and harmful. Well, from what I'm reading in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it's exactly the opposite. Discipline is a necessity placed upon all parents modeled by God himself. Now, what I want you to note is that the discipline preceded the rich blessing. Did you get that? The discipline preceded the rich blessing. If you want your children to inherit a life of peace and multitudinous blessing and riches, then discipline them when you're young. If you don't discipline your children when they're young, don't bother when they're 12 or 13, you've already missed the boat. 
At this point now, you're trying to do corrective actions, and you're only trying to save what you failed to do years ago. Now, when I say discipline, I don't mean beat. That's a perversion of your thinking. Everyone's discipline is different. Sometimes if you give your kid the side eye, they immediately break down crying and apologize. Sometimes it's a firm word. When they're young, if you have to spank your child, and I do believe in spanking, then remember that a spank in discipline is meant for correction. You're not trying to hobble them. This is a corrective action. This is not you as a tyrant being beating some slave. This is a loving parent correcting a child who is loved but needs to understand the consequences of decisions and actions. And if they don't learn it in your home, they're not going to learn it out there. We all know parents who have adult children who never learned the importance of boundaries. They're 30, 40, 50 years old, and they still do not understand that the world was not created for them. They're mad at God and they're mad at everybody else because when they should have been corrected as a child, they weren't corrected. Sometimes their parents weren't even around. Sometimes they raised themselves, and that's an unfortunate situation. But it better not be the parents in First Baptist Church of Cutler Ridge. Amen? 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 We should be modeling in our families the example of the Father to his people who lovingly disciplines his children. He has a relationship with them. He guides them. He loves them. He disciplines them because in this relationship, there's an expectation. Some of you need to have better and bigger expectations of your children. Your children are growing up before your eyes, and every year passes, and your expectations do not change. They're getting older and older in front of you, and you let them act just as foolish as you did when they were three. If you do not place expectations of your child as they grow, reasonable expectations, appropriate for their age, so that you can help them understand the importance of boundaries, responsibility, and consequences, then they're going to be a horrific spouse and a citizen of our society that contributes nothing but trouble. And if they're a member of the church, oh, you sign a membership contract, but in their mind they go, I don't really care about membership covenants because I'm going to do whatever I want to anyway because when I grew up, not even my father disciplined me. So the pastor's definitely not going to discipline me. Oh, thanks a lot for that, setting me up for that. That's good. But we talk to God with the same attitude and disposition that we've gained from our parents. It is a model given to us because it is a model that is consistent. First of all, we see God's discipline demonstrated in a parental way. Secondly, it's demonstrated in God's preparation for his people. And I've already, I've already given you a sort of hint about this, but what I want you to note, guys, is this. God doesn't simply give his people everything. He doesn't simply give his people everything, but he does 
prepare blessings and success for his people. He sets his people up for success. He prepares them for the blessings that are there. Now, when we are young men and we see our fathers shaving, we can't wait. Right? We can't wait. And if you growing up as a young man were anything like it was for me, like I was growing up as a young man, I wanted to shave, I wanted to shave. Now I'm not, I don't care about shaving. But I wanted to shave, so when my dad shaved, he gave me a razor handle without a razor. And Barbasol. You know, the 89 cent can, that's the best stuff. And then I would shave without a razor. You know why? Because something that comes to us at the inappropriate time isn't a blessing. It's a curse. Something that comes to you at the inappropriate time is not a blessing. It's a curse. A young man may want to shave, but a razor in his hand at the inappropriate time will not only not shave him, it could cut his face to pieces. God was disciplining his people in preparation for blessings. Now, let me say this to you. Are you preparing your children for greater things? Are you preparing your children for greater things? Or do they have all the greater things that they can possibly imagine at 8, 10, 12 years old? Don't set yourself up to be a failure as a parent. And don't set your children up to be someone who can never be satisfied because enough is never what? Enough. It's got to be more and it's got to be now. No, God blesses his people with discipline in preparation for success and blessing in the land. Let's read it. It says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a land. Why does he discipline you? Why does he do what he does? Because he's preparing you for a good land, a land of brooks of water, fountains and springs, flowing with valleys and hills, a land with wheat and honey and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, etc., etc., etc. You see all of this. There's so many wonderful things for you in your future that you're going to enjoy and you're going to be rich. I'm going to teach you first how to manage these things. I'm going to teach you first how to manage yourself. Because if I don't do it now, you will not be able to do it later. I love what Jesus says. He who is trustworthy in little is also trustworthy in much. Friends, this is an important paradigm that we all have to come to terms with. Note, God set them in a place that was rich. I love this. God is not necessarily telling everyone to be poor. And he's not telling those who have that it's a sin to be rich. No, money is money. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil, not money in and of itself. God sets them in a place that's rich, but they had to do the work to gain the profit and the success. I love what he says. You've got, you're going to have to dig for that copper. The copper's there, but you're going to have to dig. 
There's nothing wrong with the kids doing chores in the house. They do that as a member of the family. They should have some responsibilities in the home because that is part of the blessing. All the things that you enjoy in this house, yes, okay, you contribute to that as a member of the family. God has prepared his people, but he didn't simply give them whatever they wanted or whatever they needed. He disciplined them. He set them up for success. And listen to this. Work is a part of our creative design. That's part of what discipline includes. Discipline is not only you spoke back to your mother or you yelled at me or you, you brought home these grades, whatever the case is. Whatever infraction happens in your house, Discipline is not just about that. Discipline is, is about taking things that are good and shaping them and steering them toward the direction you want them to be in five years from now. Work is an important part of our creative design. And if we're not working, then we're compromising God's design for man and for woman. God set his people up for success. Let me say that again. God set his people up for success. Now, how does this translate into parental obligations? Let me say this. If you aren't putting your child to bed at a reasonable time, you're failing as a parent. If your kid is always tired, you need to make an adjustment to the schedule. Your child is relying on you. Mom, Dad, your child is relying on you to discipline them to a boundary, which says, you're eight years old. You're in bed by nine o'clock asleep. Not arguing with me at 9.30. And every time you get out of the bed and come wandering down the house, I'll kiss you and put you back to bed and start taking those things that you find so valuable from you so that you understand at 9 o'clock, this is not a conversation. You're asleep at 9 o'clock. This is not because I'm mad at you. This is because you're young and you're growing. I want you to be healthy and strong, and your body requires rest. If you allow your kids to stay up, guess what they're going to do? Stay up. It is not a negotiation, parents. This is something that is your responsibility to enact. Your kids don't know any better. They'll play video games till one o'clock in the morning. They'll watch their favorite whatever they're watching, Stranger Things, until whatever hour in the morning. Because they're enjoying it and the blue light is stirring their brain and the dopamine is firing and their poor little brains are not developing properly because you're not enforcing healthy boundaries. It's not their fault, it's your fault. God disciplines his people just like a father. Mom, dad, you need to discipline your children and follow the model God gives. Now it's all relative. I'm gonna use my daughter Sarah as an example again. At a certain point in time, Hannah goes, I'm done. She's done. In the morning, she wakes up and she's ready. Sarah is a night owl. Sarah will stay up for three days. Sometimes I've, I've, made, a, I've made an issue. So she does her Bible reading, for example, it's like 11 o'clock at night, 1130 at night. That's Sarah. 
Everybody's child is different. We have two amazing, perfect kids. What's so funny? We have two amazing, perfect kids. They're different. They're different. Don't raise your kids like my kids. Raise your kids as the people God made them. That requires wisdom on your part. Okay? So your discipline is part and parcel of that. Put your kids to bed. Secondly, feed your children. We have, we have people, and I'm the pastor of this church in conjunction with the school, so I have to behave myself sometimes, right? But we have kids, thank you, we have kids, we have kids who jump out of their cars with a handful of gummy bears for breakfast in the morning. This is an insult. That's not setting your children up for success. That's setting your children up for diabetes. By 10 o'clock, they're crashing. They can't focus because they're on a sugar high, and then they're back down. Now, wonder we're struggling with so many kids who are on some sort of spectrum or dealing with ADD because their diet is horrible. Absolutely horrible. Feed your kids healthy. By a certain time in the evening, they need to have had dinner, and that's it. Dinner is done. So that they can go to bed at a decent time and their stomachs are not upset or their blood pressure isn't raging because they've had a handful of candy. Feed your kids healthy dinners, lunches, and breakfasts. Some of you have already clocked out because you're determined not to do it, but I don't care, I'm gonna say it louder. This is on you. It's not on me. Oh, first Baptist Cuddle No, 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 no. You're the mother, you're the father. Take the initiative to set your children up for success. Some of you have got to come to the awareness that the failure of success in your children's lives has little to do with them and a lot to do with you. You want them to get good grades? Sit down with them. Read with them. Make time for them. Feed them good food so that their bodies are healthy. Make sure they get the rest that is required for them. That doesn't include a belt, a chancleta, or the corner. But that does qualify as discipline. You know why we don't do it? Because it requires work. It requires work on our part. It requires time management on our part. And sometimes we fail at that because our parents failed us. Now, that's a counseling session for another time. But what I'm telling you is, under the hearing of Deuteronomy chapter 8, you have been relieved of that history and called to a point of conviction. Do not do unto your children what has been done unto you. Start a new cycle. Set your children up for success. Kiss them, hug them, love them. Fill their tank as full as you possibly can. There will come a time when they will say, ew. But they will know that when they need it, they can find it in you. Feed them well and let them get their rest. This is a form of discipline that does not involve spanking. So let's not get obsessive about spanking. 
If you want more, if you need more, then you're going to have to work. You're going to have to work. Listen to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. If you want plenty of bread, you got to work your land. If you want your kids to be successful, you've got to work your land. God's blessing plays an important role in this, of course. God's providence plays an important role in this. And not, not everyone is going to have the same blessing from God. Everybody's blessing is different, and that's perfectly fine. What I need you to be is happy in God's providence and plan for your life, not mine. And I need to be happy in God's providence and plan for my life, not yours. Amen? What we need to appreciate from this point is we can't forget God because God disciplines us. We need to be sensitive to that fact. As a parent does, he disciplines us. And in doing so, he sets us up for success. And then looking at verse 10, just to synthesize it, verse 10 says this, And you shall eat and be full. That's one thing. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land. That's the second thing that he has given you, and that's the third thing. Looking at verse 10, God wants us to, number one, enjoy our blessings. Look at what it says. You shall eat and be full. Anybody, anybody against that? Anybody against saying, I am satisfied because God has richly blessed me? Who's against that? Secondly, we should worship him. Look at what it says. You shall eat and be full, number one, be satisfied with, what, with, with God's blessing. Secondly, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land. Worship him. Bless him. Enjoy the blessing. Worship him. And thirdly and finally, in verse 10, we see this point. We need to be grateful. Enjoy the blessing. Worship him for the blessing. And finally, be grateful for the blessing. Look at what it says. For the good he has given you. He's given you these blessings, church. So let's make sure that we follow his example and lead our families accordingly. Thirdly and finally, we shouldn't forget God because he directs us. He delivers us and he disciplines us. Thirdly and finally, we shouldn't forget God because he directs us. This last point is found in the last paragraph of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I'm going to try to hurry along. But let me say essentially this. There are a couple of things that are worthy of note here. Two thoughts. Number one, first, we can't forget God's word. God directs us through his word. We can't forget God's word. Look at verses 11 and 12. Take care lest you forget. There's the word. Lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest you have eaten and are full, have built good houses and live in them, and so on and so forth. And then he says, but then you forgot to give God thanks. This first point, guys, Forgetting God's word, it's paramount to forgetting God. 
Look at what he says there. He says, take care lest you forget the Lord, your God, by forgetting his commandments. Wow. Moses doesn't hesitate to tie God's word to God. If you forget his word, you forget him. There's no remembering God and not remembering his word. These two things are tied together. They're inseparable. We should read God's word. We should study God's word. We should sing God's word. We should memorize God's word. We should pray God's word. We should share God's word. God's word should be in our blood. If we get cut, it should be Bible verses coming out. We should be full of the Bible because to be full of God's word is to be close to the Lord himself whose word it is. The word of God should richly dwell in our hearts. I love what Colossians 3.16 says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ should dwell in us richly. It keeps us humble. Verse 12 says here, Lest you have eaten and are full, built yourselves homes, and live in them. Nothing wrong with that. Jumping down to verse 14. And then your heart be lifted up. And you forget about God. It's important to work hard. It's important to take care of the things that God has blessed you with. But those things do not come before God. Amen? Amen. Secondly, and finally, we can't forget to give God gratitude. And, and I know that this might sound redundant. We've said this already a couple of times. But church, this is the entire point. Everything that we have is from the Lord. All the guidance all the setting up for success, all the blessing has come from God for his glory and our good. Everything that we have, everything that we own, every possibility that is at our disposal is all by the grace of God. We've got to thank him for his deliverance because it was for his glory and our good. We've got to thank him for his discipline because it was for his glory and our good. We've got to thank him for his direction because it was for his glory and our good. But if we become self-congratulatory, if we become self-sufficient, if we become self-reliant, we will quickly find ourselves on the opposite side of this conversation, and God will become our adversary rather than our Heavenly Father who blesses us. So verse 20 says, to the people of Israel, so you will perish like the nations who disobey God. Friends, we are either for him or we are against him. One of the clearest indicators of whether or not we are for him can be found in our level of gratitude. Are we grateful? Are we living humble lives? Regardless of whether God blesses us here or blesses us here, wherever our blessing, plan, or providence is, are we grateful for what God has for us? Realizing in this course of Deuteronomy chapter 8 that all God does is love his children and set them up for success. And if they work hard, there's more blessings to come. Who wouldn't want to claim that? Let's not forget how good our God is. Let us not forget how he has disposed us and called us to follow the example that he's provided. To close, let me say this. Why shouldn't we forget about God? We shouldn't forget about God because he delivers us, he disciplines us, and he directs us.